0: Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Samuel Hill and I'll be the host today. I'm a partner in the medical negligence team at Erwin Mitchell Solicitors, and I have the pleasure of representing one of our guests today, Sarah MacDonald. Sarah herself was diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2016 and sought Erwin Mitchell's support following an earlier misdiagnosis. Sarah has written an open and honest account of her battle with cervical cancer and the impact it's had on her family in her book, The Spider in Mummy's Tummy. Today, we're also joined by Bridget Little. Bridget is the Head of Support Services at Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust and oversees the charity's helpline and online support services. For listeners not already aware, Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust is the UK's leading, dedicated cervical cancer charity. I'm delighted to welcome you both to the podcast today. I think in terms of where we might start and for our listeners, and also maybe for Bridget, it would be great if Sarah, you could start by explaining the journey that you've been on.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I was first diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2016. I'd had a cervical smear in 2013, which had been it'd come back as normal. There'd been no problems with that. And then slowly, sort of over that three years, I started to get symptoms. So the first symptoms really that I got was just really painful periods. So I'd always had quite heavy periods, but they became much more painful to the point that there were times where I was kind of struggling to even go to work because of the discomfort and things. That was my first sort of symptoms, really. And then as it went on, they became more irregular. So I was just finding that I was bleeding at different times of the month. Again, really uncomfortable and just a lower sort of abdominal cramp that was kind of becoming more noticeable and more frequent. Uh, And then that became back pain as well, lower back pain. I attended my GP and just kind of explained what was going on and the first question was, you know, let's have a look at your at your cervical screenings, your prior ones and the prior ones, and they were all absolutely fine. So they kind of thought maybe it's endometriosis. Discussed a few options for that, and I ended up going for a laparoscopy to find out if there was endometriosis, what was going on, why why was it kind of so severe? And unfortunately, whilst I was having the laparoscopy, that's when they found the cervical cancer. So they actually found a, a visible tumor on my cervix at that time. Following that, I was diagnosed with stage 1B1 cervical cancer. I already had three children at this time, so they offered me a hysterectomy and said, you know, we think that's going to be the best treatment. I already had children, so I absolutely wanted to go for that surgery to give myself the best chances, really. I did have some laser treatment, um, and that wasn't successful, so then it was followed up with um, a radical hysterectomy. Following that I was given the all clear, everything was looking good, I was starting to heal and things and then unfortunately less than six months later my symptoms started to reappear so the backache then was the most significant symptom that I noticed, severe backache that was really stopping me from doing normal everyday tasks. So I went back to the uh, to see my consultant and was, was diagnosed with, well, was uh, diagnosed with a recurrence of the same cancer. Unfortunately, this time it was quite a large tumor. It was filling my pelvis. It was had uh, already invaded my bowel, was threatening to invade my bladder. So I was having that was another symptom that I was having recurrent urine infections um, over and over as well. And it was they thought at that time that it was actually attached to the pelvic wall. So the only chance really for treatment then became chemotherapy and radiotherapy. At that time, it was all a little bit up in the air. No one was really sure why it had come back so significantly and so quickly. It was unusual, you know, for that to happen. But then I started treatment. I had a colostomy, actually. They, they decided that because of the invasion to my bowel, that a colostomy bag would be uh, the best the best solution there. Um, and then I, and I began chemotherapy and radiotherapy in 2017 for seven weeks. Um, and thankfully I got the all clear after that everything was okay I still have a a permanent colostomy just due to the damage so I did get damage to my bowel but yeah I'm now five and a half years nearly six years all clear.
0: Thank you Sarah for sharing that with us and it's obviously been a very difficult and probably at times emotional journey and I think staying positive throughout it must have been really difficult and just fantastic outcome that, that you've you know five and a half, six years on, still with the all clear. I think um, Bridget, Sarah in there mentioned a number of symptoms that that she had, including painful, heavy and irregular periods. There was the uh, abdominal cramps, back pain, and then more later, um, urine infection. Is there any other symptoms of cervical cancer that you think people should be looking out for, or if they have those symptoms, might think, oh, I need to get something looked at here?
2: Yes, yeah, Sam. Um, the, the most common symptoms are, are, is the bleeding, um, between periods and also, um, after sex. Um, other symptoms is for women, older women who are, say postmenopausal if they start having unusual bleeding as well. Um, and as Sarah mentioned about, you know, the pain that she was having in sort of the abdominal area and also sometimes for some women pain during sex. So these symptoms. Alone don't necessarily mean that someone has got um cervical cancer. It can be a number of different things, but we always, you know, suggest and recommend to people that they go and talk to their GP about those symptoms if they if they come up.
0: Okay, thank you. Sarah's book, The Spider and Mummy's Tummy, it starts off with with her own, I guess, public service announcement encouraging every woman to go and get their cervical screening test. Bridget, again, back to you. Would would you be able to just explain the importance of testing and, and maybe some of the barriers as to why people feel that they don't need to do it?
2: Yeah, Cervical screening is a test that can prevent cervical cancer from developing um, because it looks for the HPV virus and any cervical cell changes. We know that over 99% of cervical cancers are caused by the HPV virus. So the screening is one of the best ways to monitor and to keep an eye on what's going on and to to see if there are any cell changes and and to provide any treatment. Um, So Sarah was obviously doing absolutely the right thing going for her screenings, um, but also if there are any symptoms is follow up um, by going in and checking with, with the GP. However, I mean, we know that there are many um, barriers for for a lot of women and other people with a cervix around going and attending their cervical screening. So we know that for some women um, having maybe had an experience of sexual violence can really um, impede their comfort in going. Um, also, we know that having a physical disability is a big barrier because, you know, some GPs might not have the right equipment, but there are ways around that. There are, there are ways that women can go and get their screening. Um, unfortunately, also, some women just feel really embarrassed about going because, you know, we, we don't like talking about these things in, in our culture. And But we would really encourage people to talk to the GP about anything that's unusual and also to attend their screening whenever they get their invitation.
0: And Sarah, Bridget, there you know just covered some of the barriers and just some of the thoughts for people maybe with a disability who who may not want to go to the GP. But from your point of view, did did you did you historically have those kind of feelings and I guess excuses not to go for cervical um, screening, or or were you always somebody who was quite regimented about it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, my mum is a nurse, um, and it's just always been kind of Part of our family, I suppose, that I've always had all my vaccinations. I've always gone for screening and things. So, yeah, as soon as I got mine, I I would go. But I fully appreciate that, you know, for some people, it's not as. easy as that and it's a really big you know a really big deal I remember speaking to an optician actually randomly who said to me oh I've never been for my screening you know she because obviously when you go to the opticians you have to tell them I'd had chemo and things and I told her and she was saying well I've never been and then she disclosed that I think it was her mum had had cancer and that was what gave her the fear she said I'd rather not know and I suppose I never really thought about it like that she says you know I'd I'd just rather get on with it and and not know what if they do find something but I sort of told her my story a little bit and I just said you need to know you know because these things get progressively worse and if you can catch them early the treatment is just so much less invasive so much easier to deal with and there's just so much more chance of success as well so absolutely you know it, it can be uncomfortable but it Trust me, you know having everything that I've been through is is much more un- uncomfortable and invasive. so if you know if you need to take a friend with you or practice some sort of breathing techniques, that kind of thing, there are things that you can do, but it's it's always worth going and getting checked.
0: I think it's that um earlier screening, earlier diagnosis, earlier treatment, better outcome. and bridget, does that um does just trust support people who might actually be having some of those fears around uh, having screening?
2: Yes, we do, Sam. I mean, it's what Sarah's saying about maybe taking a friend or looking at different strategies to help them Feel more comfortable going this screening. they are things that we talk about with women all the time. So we have a helpline that um, people can call, and we can talk about the screening. And we we often talk to to women who are feeling really anxious about going, and talk about different ways that they might be able to feel more comfortable and um, more a bit more relaxed about going. So there's lot there's lots of different things. There's no I, I think screening is different for every single woman. Um, so there's different ways that different people can and go about it and um, and get their screening done.
0: So just um pulling back a little bit, um, Bridget, to something that you mentioned earlier, um well, that's the HPV vaccine. I just wondered if you could um, give us a little bit more information about the HPV vaccine and and what impact do you think that that will have.
2: Yeah, so the HPV vaccine is offered to both boys and girls at school, I think between the ages of 11 and 13. And this is one of the ways that we can um, help reduce the risk of developing cervical cancer further down the line. So HPV is a very, very common virus, and there's over 200 strains of it. And it's grouped into both low risk and high risk. So high risk is what the HPV that could potentially, if left untreated or left wasn't, they didn't know that it was there, could potentially lead to to cervical cancer. However, with having the vaccine and then having the screening, it keeps an eye on these sort of things and reduces dramatically the chance of of anything developing into cancer.
0: And Sarah, my my understanding is that you, following diagnosis and post-treatment, had a lot of concerns around the HPV virus.
1: Yeah, so I think it's it is a bit unknown like Bridget says people are not really sure what it is I was I didn't have the HPV vaccine at school it kind of came in just maybe a few years after I left school so it wasn't something that I was offered my I've got two teenage girls and they have had it recently they had it this year and last year and and now I understand the importance of it but had I not been through what I've been through maybe I'd be a little bit you know not sure what they were having this vaccine for really I had a fear that it was going to be passed back to me so I had a a sort of a a fear after I'd gone through treatment and things of sort of resuming intimacy with my husband for fear that we were going to pass this infection back to each other that it was going to cause the cancer again and that was yeah that was quite a big a big fear of mine because I just wasn't really sure. I thought it was something that kind of goes away and then you get again a bit like I suppose a cold or the flu or something. but then having looked into it more, I started to realize that it's something that actually a very high number of 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 people in the um, in around the world have this virus in their bodies at any one time and it's the situation of you know whether it turns into cancer or not actually having your regular screening um can identify those changes really early, but it's not gonna it's not gonna be everybody who's got the virus that, that gets these changes.
2: I Absolutely agree with what Sarah's saying. I mean HPV is really, really common. So eight out of 10 people will get HPV at some point during their lives, but most people, the vast majority, clear it within a couple of years without knowing that they've ever had it.
0: Sarah, I've had the pleasure in reading your book. Um, Joe's Trust have got copies of it. I think it's still available for Kindle download and on Amazon for any listeners who might want to have a copy. Um, but it would be grateful if you could just tell us a little bit more about your motivation for writing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first question I always get asked when it comes to the book that I wrote is, why is it called The Spider in Mummy's Tummy? And the reason it's called that is because when I first got diagnosed, my children were two, six and seven and the six and seven year old were able to understand a little bit more but obviously trying to explain to a two-year-old what cancer is is really difficult so we told him about a bug I think it started off mummy has got a little bug in her tummy and needs to have an operation to get it out um and to make Mummy better and then from him being you know at that stage he was three um to him a bug was a spider so he decided that I had a spider in my tummy and it just became sort of a, a thing that we talk about um the spider that was in mummy's tummy the doctors were going to get it out and then hopefully you know it, it was making mummy poorly but once it had come out then then mummy should be better again when it came back again I had to have obviously the chemotherapy and the radiotherapy so the way that we discussed it then was that we were having the doctors were using laser beams and they were gonna shoot the spider in mummy's tummy and he for him that's how he understood it that I had laser beams that were going into my tummy to kill his spider and he thought it was quite exciting really um and the reason that I I wrote the book I suffered with severe anxiety um health anxiety as a result of my treatment and everything that I've been through I'd not I'd I'd not been an anxious person especially related to my health prior to becoming ill uh, with cancer but once I once I got all the all clear and things I just lived in fear it got progressively worse that I was going to get cancer again um in the year after I finished treatment I had breast scans chest x-rays a, a doctor's appointment after a doctor's appointment I had camera tests and all sorts because I was convinced that there was cancer in my body and it didn't matter how many PET scans MRI scans it didn't matter anything that they told me and did I was absolutely convinced that the cancer was either there somewhere or was it was going to come back and I was I did get quite ill with it I was working as a teacher at the time um, and I had to have time of work because I couldn't focus I couldn't concentrate at work because you know due to the anxiety. Um and I saw a counsellor and she just suggested writing everything down. So I wrote everything down and I wrote it down as my story. And then I just I just thought, you know what, if this is how I'm feeling, then how how must other people be feeling? You know, everybody who's been through what I've been through must be feeling the same. Um I actually used the Joe's Trust forums a few times. Um, and i saw a lot of other people saying the same things over and over you know have you had this symptom have you had that and most of the time it was things that were not related to cancer in the slightest but it was things that i was feeling as well you know an ache an achy finger or i went to the doctor about an ache in my leg convinced that i had cancer in the bones in my leg and and i saw it time and time again so i just thought if i could share my story then if other people read it hopefully it'll help them to understand that the anxiety is normal it's I mean it's it's horrible, but it is a normal part of um of healing, I guess, and getting better. And I remember friends saying to me, But you're better now, you know, and I and I understand it from their point of view. You've just fought cancer and, and you're alive, but it didn't help me. It just to me it was it was a case of, well, so what? Just because I'm alive now, it came back last time, it could come back again. So yeah, I just, I got my story out there, I guess, to help my children as well. My eldest, she suffered with anxiety. She needed um, a lot of support as well, just because of the age that she was whilst I was going through it all. Um, and she had thoughts that I was going to and she didn't have thoughts that I was going to get cancer again she had thoughts that someone's gonna kidnap me in the night and all sorts of, th- of strange things but it was all a part of that and she ended up having counseling so she has read my book she's 14 now we waited until she was 13 and then she read it and yeah it just helps her to understand what we went through at the time as well because in her little head I suppose a lot of a lot of women who have a lot of people who have cervical cancer have children and they don't know how to talk to them about it. We were really open, we were really honest, and I talk about that in my book as well. We never shied away from them being involved in appointments, from them knowing what was going on. I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but that's the way that we as a family felt that we wanted to go about things. So they came to hospital appointments. Joseph, who was two at the time, he would bring his uh, pat lunch and sit and have a play in the waiting room, and he quite enjoyed it. You know, <laughs> To him, it was just what we did, because we needed to get me better so that yeah that's really why I wrote the book it's written in my words I'm not by any means uh, an author it's kind of raw and uncut it's just it's more of my diary I suppose my thoughts and feelings that I went through at the time and it really did help me to heal as well.
2: Yes thanks Sarah for mentioning our forum that is a uh... A great place that people with their own experiences um, around cancer and cell changes and, and fears around screening, it is a place where they can get support from other other women who are going through similar things. Our helpline and our information sort of online information services are very much open to anyone affected by cervical cancer. So it could be the person that's going through the experience themselves or it could be their partner or parent or child or friend or whoever. So we're more than happy to to have a chat with anyone who is affected by, by cervical cancer and to help them to, to listen to them and, and hear about what they feel that they might need. And then we will signpost them to potential other supports that might be helpful for them or have a chat to them about, you know, things that they could do or things that they or resources that they could access that might be helpful.
0: The website www.joestrust.org.uk is user-friendly. It is probably one of the easiest websites to navigate. You can get all of the information. It's categorised into different ages, two, three clicks, and you've got the information you need. And if you can't, signposts everywhere to the helpline number. So, fantastic website to use, um, even if you just want more information um, to support somebody else uh, who might be going through this. Bridget, um, and Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust running any campaigns at the moment, or any plan for the future that you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, Joe's is running the End Cervical Cancer campaign, where we're calling for all UK countries to commit to eliminating cervical cancer, and providing estimates and when that can be. We know that other countries have set ambition tar- ambitious targets, but the UK hasn't as as yet. So we're hoping that the UK will will do that and help make cervical cancer, a thing of the past.
0: Is there any, I guess, last points for closing that either of you feel it would be really helpful to to know now and for the audience to hear? Um, And perhaps Sarah, if you could go first and then follow Bridget.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think my sort of main point really um, is that I'm now five and a half years down the line. I'm actually retraining. I did go through the menopause obviously, as part of my treatment, I went through the menopause at the age of 30, which was really difficult. I was really lucky that I already had three children. So I've not had to consider that as much. Um, Obviously, the loss of my fertility is is a, a massive issue. But I do have three children. And I feel extremely lucky for that. I've gone through the menopause, I've got I've had chemo. So I have got sort of foggy chemo brain and that has been something that I've had to get used to and learn to live with um, I'm retraining now as a midwife and it's it's different so when I was teaching and I went back to teaching I struggled with that because I was a different person after treatment and I think a lot of people have been through the treatment that I have you know you're you're very different you see life very differently and and I don't have the same cognitive ability that I did have but having said that I'm now retraining, and I'm doing a job that I love, and and my life right now feels really good, you know. So I've been through some difficult times, but it's not, it's not being kind of that's it, it's it's over, you know. There is, you do come through the other side. I don't worry about my health anymore in the in the way that I did. I as as time goes on, I've I've learned to accept it and to embrace this new life, I suppose. And yeah, it's 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 just a part of what I've been through and it is a part of who I am but it doesn't define me I I'm still me I'm still mum I'm still wife and and I'm still you know I've got a good life and yeah I just want people to know that that who are going through it right now and might be thinking this is it you know it feels awful I, I've been there and I've felt that and and now yeah life life is good so you do get out the other side of it
2: and I suppose from from our perspective, the message we'd like to give people is that firstly, you know, anything around your cervical health, you don't have to go through that alone. We're here to support and to provide information as you need. So you can call our helpline, you can look at our website, you can join the forum that um, Sarah mentioned and get support from other people going through similar things. But I suppose we, we always encourage women and other people with the cervix to take the invitation when it um, when it comes in the post to go and have your screening. We know that this is one of the best protections against cervical cancer because it's a way that um, people can be tested for HPV, that any cell changes can be monitored and treated before it gets to the point of cervical cancer.
0: Well, I'd like to say a huge thank you to to Sarah for taking part today, for being so open and honest and sharing with us what's been an understandably difficult personal journey i'd also like to thank bridget for providing more information about joe's for cancer trust the amazing work that they do and and for providing that professional insight so thank you so much to you both and that's it for today thank you again to bridget and sarah we hope that you our listeners found this podcast insightful if you'd like to find out more about how we support our clients and please visit our website at erwinmitchell.com. Alternatively, you can contact me direct at samuel.hill@erwinmitchell.com. At Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust has a fantastic, informative, and user-friendly website at www.joestrust.org.uk, or they have a dedicated telephone helpline. That helpline number is 0808 802 8000. Thank you for listening to Erwin Mitchell's podcast. If you found it interesting, then join us next time and for the next episode. Please stay safe.